0: Hey there, geeks! Adam here coming at you with a special announcement for this special episode. That's right, we are releasing right now to you a preview of a brand new podcast that has joined the Retro Network. It's actually from one of the founders of the Retro Network, Mickey, and he has a new podcast partner, Jeff, and they have combined their nostalgic forces to create the gnarly 90s podcast. Guys, if you love the nostalgia of Wizards and what we do going back to the 90s comics, book boom they're covering all other sides of pop culture okay so they just pick a topic they get into it and it's just so much fun it's relaxed it's two people that have studied and looked back into their memories and tried to get all the details put the stories together but it's also just a casual conversation they're not trying to be the experts they're telling anecdotes from their lives as it relates to fruit snacks as it relates to video games as it relates to movies but hey also 90s comics yes so in this first episode of their podcast you are going to hear quite a few mentions about 90s comics wizard magazine our podcast and whatever else so Enjoy this preview of their first episode. Of course, we'll be back on Wednesday with a brand new episode of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. And if you want to follow all that's going on with the Gnarly 90s podcast, be sure that you are checking out at TRN Social on Instagram and Twitter. And you can check out theretronetwork.com for all the latest content. Now let's get into it. The following is a presentation of the Retro
1: Network.
2: Welcome to the Gnarly Nineties Podcast. I'm your host, Mickey, along with my co host, Jeff. Hey there. Hey. And the Gnarly 90s Podcast, we plan on taking you back in time to the criminally underrepresented decade of the 90s, criminally underrepresented on the Retro Network anyway. We do so much focusing on the 80s, which were a great decade as well, but I'm more of a 90s guy. What
1: about you? Uh, Definitely a child of the 90s. Born in the 80s, child of the 90s. That's the way I say it.
2: That's what I used to say, too. Born in the 70s, raised in the 80s, and come of age in the 90s. So... But anyway, here on the Gnarly 90s podcast, we're going to be taking you back to all things 90s, whether uh, it was major life events, major news events, down to the most trivial little nuggets of stuff. Whatever hits Jeff and I's brains that we want to talk about on each episode, that's where we'll go. And we hope you'll follow along. So let's get housekeeping out of the way first. If you like what you're hearing, you need to subscribe to the show. Look for the Gnarly 90s podcast wherever fine podcasts are offered and whatever service you choose to listen to. And if you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star rating on your favorite app. And with that, I think that's all the housekeeping. You got anything else?
1: No. Let's get going.
2: All right. So we thought for this first episode, uh, just for listeners who don't know me and who don't know Jeff, maybe to get to know us a little bit, you know, wide variety of topics from all through the 90s. A popular thing Jason and I used to do on the Time Machine podcast was the ABCs of something. And so today we're doing the ABCs of the 90s, where we take each letter of the alphabet and assign something from the 90s to it that touches us deep in our souls. And uh, I guess I'm the one starting. Uh, Jeff actually got to draft which set of letters he wanted. He picked to start with B and left me with A. (laughs)
1: Well, I thought I would take the hard ones at the end of the alphabet, and I might have regretted that decision, but let's hear what you got for A. (laughs) Oh, I
2: was good with doing the end of the alphabet, too. I mean, Z for Zima is just, you know, right up my alley from back. in the. (laughs) But A, so you especially know this. I am a junk food kind of guy, and I'm especially a fast food junk food kind of guy. So A for me represents the Arch Deluxe from McDonald's.
1: Ah, very
2: nice. Uh, now, I wasn't really a fan, but for people who don't know it. I don't uh, think many people were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why it didn't last long. Uh, it came out in 1996, I'm pretty sure. I used to think 95, but I'm pretty sure it was 96. But it was a quarter pound patty, uh, a circle of bacon. I don't know how they got it in a circle. Lettuce, tomato, onions, cheese, ketchup, and they say it had Dijonaise on it. I seem to remember back at the time it was advertised as some kind of horseradish-based condiment, which I never did like horseradish, but it was McDonald's attempt to appeal to adults instead of kids all the time. And uh, as you just mentioned, it was one of the – I don't want to call it a flop. It was one of the bigger misfires in McDonald's history.
1: Yeah, I think they definitely spent a lot of time and money advertising and it didn't live up to, um, their investment. So, uh, shall we say, I do remember my mother liked it, but, uh, as a kid in 96, I definitely was not a fan of the Arch Deluxe. Yeah. No, me either.
2: I tried it, didn't like the sauce, but I ate it several times after that without the sauce. And it, then it was a pretty good burger. It was a bacon quarter pounder on a potato bun. So. It wasn't bad at all once you got rid of the sauce that was on it. No. But uh, you talk about the money they spent on it. I've read in the past that they hired a professional, world-renowned chef to come in and and redesign their menu for adults, and this was the first thing they come up with. And I'm not sure how long after that they retained his
1: services. (laughs) I can't imagine long. But I do remember as a kid that I really liked the advertising. Or at least it's the one of the very first advertisements from McDonald's, the ad campaigns that I really remember. Uh, But like I said, the the Arch Deluxe was not for me. I'm not a horseradish fan either, and it wasn't that great.
2: Yeah, and I I didn't like sauce. Like I said, everything you read about now says it had Dijanae's on it. I'm okay with Dijanae's. I'm not okay with horseradish. If it had Dijanae's, I would probably have eaten it. So (laughs) I'm still thinking it was horseradish.
0: You really want to get to McDonald's today? Two words. Arch Deluxe? Mm. Care to join us?
2: Introducing the burger with the grown-up taste, McDonald's
1: Arch Deluxe. So what have you got for B? All right, B, Blockbuster Video. And I'm I'm using Blockbuster as a catch-all for video rentals because the town I grew up in didn't have a Blockbuster until the very late 90s. So we had a little mom-and-pop place called Dollar Video that was, I mean, like a three-minute walk from our house. And every Saturday or most Saturdays, mom would take my brother and I down, and we'd get a video or a video game. And I know – Right now, uh, VHS rentals are in vogue as far as us nostalgia geeks go. Uh, but I really think that's because there's nothing like it anymore. Uh, every night, my wife and I will sit down and we'll turn on one of our 17 streaming apps and say, "What do you want to watch?" And we're just <laughs> hit with we're just hit with a wall of uh, titles, endless titles, uh, which I guess is similar to a, a rental store. But at least at the store, you could you know, thumb through them and look at the cover and read the back. And I'm not going to sit and scroll through thousands of titles on Paramount Plus or HBO Max. And we just end up watching 90 Day Fiancé or something on TV. <laughs> just I'm sorry. Um, yeah, there, it has its moments. Yeah. but um, uh, And speaking of which, the Retro Network has its whole podcast on video rentals with Adam and Jason called Rental Returns, which recently announced a season three will be coming soon. So I'm looking forward to that. It's a great episode or a great uh, podcast. Everyone should check out. But did you have a blockbuster in town that you went to?
2: We got a blockbuster kind of like you near the tail end of the nineties, early two thousands. And it wasn't even in our town. It was the main town. You know, we uh, about 15 minutes away, but We grew up with a small hometown video store in the 80s and video store experience changed from the 80s to the 90s. You know, the blockbuster chain experience took over and other chains developed around here. But I still really miss the uh, the mom and pop feel from the 80s. But you mentioned the streaming thing. It is a lot like looking at movies in a video store. The biggest plus these days is, though. If you click on something and you watch 20 minutes of it and you're not into it, it's easy to change. Back then, you'd go rent a movie and you've watched 20 minutes of it and you weren't into it. You were just pretty well stuck with it. (laughs) (laughs) You either watched it
1: or you didn't, but you weren't going to drive all the way back to the store and get a new one.
2: No. And my video store experience is kind of unique from a lot of people because in the 90s, I worked at uh, the grocery store. And we had a video store inside of it. So I was in it multiple times every day you know killing time shooting the crap with people and browsing movies and it was one of those things where people would rush to a blockbuster to get the you know a copy of whatever new release come out on tuesday well i had the benefit of on monday going ahead and snagging a copy and putting it behind the counter to to get on tuesday (laughs) so i didn't have to worry about not getting that new release on its first day so my experience is kind of unique i'm Still waiting on my invite to uh participate in rental return, by the way, Adam and Jason.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Hint>. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of similar to video stores would be going to a comic book store, which is my letter C, uh-huh. by the way, is uh-huh. comic books, because they were so huge in the nineties. The speculator boom come along and Image Comics debuted, Valiant Comics debuted, and really helped fuel the speculator fire along with the big storylines, the death of Superman, Nightfall, and then every company was having their big crossovers, killing off characters, changing characters. Even though it, it led to a serious decline in comics in the late 90s, those early 90s, all those events were super exciting for readers of comic books. Um, of course, the speculator market unfortunately also drove up prices for all of us readers. Um, cover prices kept going up and up, but I got into comics really in the 90s and uh, mainly through the Death of Superman storyline. And uh, another plug for another podcast here on the Retro Network would be Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, which is all about '90s comics through the eyes of Wizard magazine. But Wizard magazine, more than comic books themselves, was my go-to. If if I only had five dollars to spend on comic books, I was buying Wizard magazine instead of an individual issue, because you could get all the snippets, see everything going on in the comic book world, and have the necessary ammo for being able to stay in conversations with friends at school about comic books, as long as you had wizard magazine.
1: See, I was never a comic book fan growing up. I, I did read the death of Superman, um, not issue by issue, but it was in a, a book probably well after the actual story happened. But, uh, I have, I mean, I have a stack of comic books and I collected some, early Batman ones and stuff, but I was never a fan. I did frequent the comic book store because as a younger kid, I was into sports and hockey and uh, baseball cards. And the comic book shop was the only place where you could get sports trading cards. And so that's my experience. We'd go in there and spend my money on some candy and some, uh, some hockey cards or baseball cards. And I but,
2: never could get into hockey cards because I didn't really know the players. There there was no appeal to me with that. I didn't have a local comic book store being here in rural Southwest Virginia. I had to rely on what was on the newsstand at the grocery store. And it was a small grocery store too. So, um, Wizard Magazine would be there. There'd be some random Superman, a Batman, maybe a Spider-Man title, an Avengers title. And that was about it. So I was buying more Wizard than anything. <laughs> but uh I still, comic books were a big part of my ni- early 90s, from 91 through probably about 95-ish before I really got out of the hobby. So just recognizing comic books on this ABC list.
1: Are you still uh reading them digitally? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I read... Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm not
2: going to say constantly anymore, but at least five days a week, I'm reading at least an issue or two every day or so. And most of them are from the 90s, whether it be (laughs) – I alternate year to year between the DC Unlimited app and the Marvel Unlimited app. Right now, I've got DC about to expire, so I'll be going back to Marvel next month. But just reading all these things I wanted to read in the 90s that I saw in Wizard Magazine and never got to read back then.
1: Well, that's great. Want to move on to D? Yep. Uh Dick Tracy. Oh yes. I was the hoping 90, you'd go there. The nineteen ninety movie and the line of playmates toys. The Summer of Tracy. I was obsessed as a kid. I had never heard of Dick Tracy before, and of course, afterwards my uh grandfather showed me the cartoon from the fifties, which you can't show on TV these days. But um I was in love the minute I saw the movie. I mean, I was really young, 1990. I would have been six, I guess. But, you know, there's cops and robbers and explosions and bright colors. I mean, speaking of comic books, this was a comic book movie. It looked like a comic book. The colors, the the characters, um, and actually my first article for the Retro Network was about the line of toys from uh, Playmates. Uh, And actually, just last night, my wife and I watched this movie. She had never seen it. She had never seen it before. She really liked it. And uh, I haven't seen it for a few years. So I thought it was, uh, you know, really nice to see again. And not to drive people away from the Retro Network stable of podcasts, but the first episode of The Purple Stuff with uh, Dinosaur Dracula and Jay uh, was about Dick Tracy. Uh, So after you're done listening to this... Maybe go check that out too. But um, watching the movie last night, it was interesting. That line of toys that I uh, collected as a kid, half the line of toys was killed in the first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> so, well, you I couldn't don't...
2: make out a whole line full of, you know, just the characters that survived <laughs> the whole thing. You, they had to include them all. This is true. This is true.
1: And I still haven't found a blank figure, which they're still going on eBay for like two grand a pop. So I don't think I'll be finding one anytime soon.
2: You know, I didn't know at the time, obviously, but what I've learned in in later years is they were perfectly in scale with Playmates Teenage Mutant Ninja
1: Turtles figures. Yes, and I think that's why I like them so much.
2: It, but it surprises me that they weren't more popular just because of that fact because kids who were, you know, in 1990 teenage mutant Ninja Turtles were still, you know, soaring mm-hmm. that, uh, I'm surprised that Dick Tracy figures didn't go over better because it was not a stretch of the imagination to combine the two lines for storylines in playtime. Absolutely. You
1: know? Yeah. They but, fit, they fit in the vehicles. The the weapons fit in their hands perfectly and the, the two went together, uh, You know, the Dick Tracy toys, I found a lot of mine at garage sales. So I don't – I think once the movie lost its popularity, which I guess was relatively quick, um, so did the toys.
2: I love that movie, and it's one of the handful of movies that I associate with the early 90s. And uh, I had gotten – I don't know what kind of the magazine it was, but it had the ad on the back for the full-size – replica rubber mask for all the villains and stuff and i was enamored with with those things i wanted a flat top mask so bad but uh, (laughs) they were like 99 bucks even back then wow the movie was out so there was no way that uh, 12 year old me was gonna fork over that kind of money for a mask but uh yeah and i didn't see the movie until we didn't get, go to the theater back then when I was a kid. I saw the movie. We did have a black box on cable, so my first viewing would probably been when it hit viewer's choice pay-per-view, and then I probably watched it two dozen times that summer <laughs> or winter whenever it finally hit the pay-per-view. But that's a movie I need to go back and watch again. I've not watched it in about two years, but I've probably seen it a dozen times since <laughs> that first time I watched it that many times.
1: Yeah, it's really enjoyable, and I... Didn't see it in the theater either. We didn't go to the theater often just because uh, my parents are not movie theater fans. So everything I saw, or most everything I saw, was on a VHS rental. So I must have – probably the first viewing must have been – well, back then, it took about a year for a movie to come out on VHS. So it had to be maybe 91 before I saw it.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's a good pick, though. I was hoping – the way you had written that article that I was hoping Dick Tracy would come up. So yeah. kudos on that. I'm taking this bomb out of the headlines. I'm rubbing it out. Dick Tracy, what's up? Dick Tracy to me. You say we kill Tracy now. You challenge me, we all go down! Ash, gonna arrest me? I wanna know who killed Lips Manly. Not the bad, not the bad, big boy, not the bad! I know, and I'm gonna miss you, but all's fair in love and business.
0: Whose side are you
2: on? Side I'm always on.
0: Mine. Warren baby <laughs> is Dick Tracy.
2: Well, from the big screen to the small screen for the letter e, I've got the t v show Erie Indiana,
1: okay, uh, I know nothing about this really yeah
2: do you do you know of its existence at least Yes, okay, so Erie Indiana come out in nineteen ninety and it was i don't know a kid's version of the Twilight Zone, I guess would be a good way to put it. Um, or an early precursor to Are You Afraid of the Dark? But it had the same two reoccurring characters in The Brothers. But uh, like Elvis lived in their town. He was hiding out, and every episode <laughs> had a twist to it and a little sci-fi, a little horror, just you know, kind of like a blend of The Twilight Zone. And it was criminally underrated. It debuted on Sunday nights, the death slot for any show. And it only ran for the one season, but uh, I was twelve when it came out. Perfect age for the show, right there between ten and fourteen probably would be the sweet
1: spot for Erie, Indiana. Um, so was it? A the, conti- oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, was it a continuing story, or was each episode an individual, like Twilight Zone? Each episode was an individual uh, storyline. They line? were
2: they were individual episodes, but. They would do little callbacks, you know, they like episode six or so, I'm just talking off the top of my head. Folks, don't fuss at me for being wrong. But like around episode six or so, they might reference something that happened in the second episode just in passing, yes. you know, so it had a little bit of continuity to it. But um, it's just like they met somebody new in their town every episode that uh had something weird about them, like Twin Peaks and Twilight Zone all rolled into one for kids. Uh, people listening to this from the 90s, you may not have seen it, but tons of people have and a lot of people have good memories of it. And you can find the episodes. I've watched them on um, YouTube at various times. it was been on various streaming services, so it's something you ought to check out at some point.
1: Yeah, we'll put that on the list. Uh, Moving on from that, uh, F. Fruit Snacks. I know in the 90s, sugar was not the enemy of mothers at lunchtime that it is now. (laughs) So every day at lunch, I'd open up my lunchbox, and there'd be some form of a fruit snack between a roll-up or tape or gummy candies, any shaped animal. Uh, If you name it, they made it. I know um, Garfield was my favorite when I was a kid, and they always had a figure in the box not each individual bag but in the box like it was a box of cereal and um you could stack them i remember like garfield was posed in different positions and they would like have pegs on the feet or the hands and you could stack them like a circus act or what have you but uh and then the other one was shark bites which Mm -hmm. i believe around were or were around before the 90s but Definitely in my lunchroom at school, if you had the blue ones or the white ones, that was good trading material when people started trading their lunch snacks. So fruit snacks are an important part of the 90s to me because for a while I survived on just fruit snacks. (laughs) We had uh,
2: uh, the shark bites too. I remember – I can't say I remember when they come out, but I remember when it was just the – the gummy kind, and you didn't have the great white hadn't been introduced yet or the tiger shark, the orange and yeah. white striped one. But then when that, that white shark come along, holy crap, you hit the nail on the head on the trade value stuff. <laughs> so my best friend at the time, Jeffrey, used to bring them all the time, and he would open that pack and pour them out on his lunch tray, and there may be three white ones or four white ones, and he'd segregate those and he would start trading them off, you know, like, what have you got? What have you got? Uh, you know, and the trade value was insane. It'd be like two chocolate chip cookies for one great white fruit snack. Yep. Uh, it was more of a status symbol than just I got to have it to eat it thing, you know. True. Yeah. That, they weren't really it, that good. <laughs> no. No, they were chalky and yeah, uh, it's hard very to describe, chewy. Yeah. But it was a status symbol. It was. And, uh. Beyond that, you know, being a little older than you, my fruit snack days go a little farther back to fruit wrinkles and uh, fruit roll-ups, which used to be made by a company called Fruit Corners before they were bought out by Betty Crocker. And uh, the little fruit wrinkles were, uh, the best way to describe it is like a folded up fruit snack. So they were little, but... They were like folded in on their like a little tiny taco looking thing. Um, but the fruit wrinkles had a, a I don't know, what's the best way to say it? Like a richer flavor tool. They were more more depth to the flavor. And then I guess they got so, so popular fruit snacks in general, they just started really mass producing them and didn't worry about the same quality beyond that. But God, I ate my share of fruit <laughs> snacks too. Holy <laughs> cow. I just Googled fruit
1: wrinkles. I definitely remember having those, too. Oh, look yeah. at you. you got the computer in front of you. Look at that. <laughs> I've got
2: mine in front. Of, I've got two in front of me, but I'm not touching either one of them. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I lived all this stuff. I can see it. I don't have to look it up. Yeah. Uh, God, here we go with more junk food. I've got like three junk food items on my list, and there's one from you. So it's a junk food heavy show. So, gee. Yeah, well, there you go. I never was a big fan of Gatorade growing up. You know, you would play in Little League baseball and football and things. You would stop at the local convenience store and grab one before you went to look cool. Again, it's like a status symbol thing. Mm -hmm. Going to practice or going to play a game, I got some Gatorade with me. Never really cared for it. But then in the mid-90s, they come out with a new flavor Gatorade ice. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. My memory, I remember it being called Gatorade Ice. I was doing a little looking online yesterday, and I think it was Lemon Ice. But it was like a lemonade Gatorade, and it was frosted or clear liquid. And back then, before the plastic bottles, they had the single-serve glass bottles, and I would grab those at work and chug them and just thought that was the best stuff. But then my sodium levels got a little too high from drinking it uh, all day every day, and my wallet got lighter from drinking it all day, every day, and I had to stop the habit. But uh, for for a time there in like 94, 95, Gatorade Ice was my drink of choice.
1: I don't remember Ice very much, but I do know uh, I played hockey growing up, and we had the red and the orange, but the blue was a game changer. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure if it was raspberry or blue raspberry or whatever, but it was a game changer. I never really cared for... The red or the orange, but the blue one was definitely that one. Look out, because I'll steal it from you. Well, I've got a soft spot in my heart for blue Gatorade,
2: too. You can't imagine how much money I've won on betting on the Patriots to have blue Gatorade at the Super Bowls they've been in. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's something you can bet on for the Super Bowl is what color will the Gatorade be for the winning team. And there's always every color listed and various odds for them. But if you just look at the colors of the teams, it's kind of easy to figure out. So the Patriots is going to be red or blue. And the way they set the odds, you can actually bet both and still make money by just winning one and losing one. Uh, this year, you know, if the Bengals go, it'd be a pretty solid bet that there's going to be they orange game parade. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, little tip for people listening:
1: you know uh, money making tips.
2: That's right. <laughs> This show, as it drops, is dropping on Super Bowl Sunday. So if you listen to it early enough, there's still time to get your bets in. As we're recording, we don't know who's in the Super Bowl yet, but uh, just check out the team colors, find the most logical color, and put a little money on it. You'll thank us later. So.
1: <laughs> well, uh, for H, I was going to say Hooch as in Turner and Hooch because that's the first movie I ever saw in a theater that I can remember seeing in a theater, but that was in the 80s. So another movie, very popular in the 90s, Home Alone. Oh, yeah. Uh, the movie doesn't need any intro- introduction whatsoever, especially these days. It's probably more popular now than it was in the 90s. It's an annual staple in my house around Christmas time. Uh, my wife and I make sure we watch the first one and the second one together. Uh, it was one of the few movies as a kid I liked – but i wasn't like in love with uh I, th- I think up until the scene where he started with the booby traps and you know the the villains were uh you know rolling down the stairs or what have you uh it was kind of a boring movie for a little kid i think but uh the older i get the more um i enjoy the entire story especially now that i have a kid of my own and the whole uh, thought of leaving her alone at christmas time Uh, But speaking of home alone, did you find those crunch taters that went around this year? Um, I I did not. Yeah, uh, we were able to find one at Dollar Tree or Dollar General, wherever they were made available. But for those who don't know, crunch taters were an old potato chip made by Lay's. Um, Honestly, they were very similar to Cape Cod uh, chips. The kettle, you know, uh, twice fried or whatever they do with them the mesquite ones there's two there's a plane and a mesquite barbecue weren't that hot they were what we remember uh we being my wife and i the 1990s version of lay's barbecue chips to taste like hmm. just a really good barbecue chip and uh so we were able to find them and so that was nice but uh the importance for nostalgia for those who aren't aware of what Crunch Taters relate to Home Alone. There's one scene where Kevin first realizes he's left Home Alone, and he just gorges himself on ice cream and <laughs> candy and everything else. And one of the things that's laying in the background is Crunch Taters, and you know, nerds like us notice stuff like that, and it reminds right. us of it reminds us of things that used to be, and quite honestly, the way I feel like they sh- still should be. So, amen to that, brother. <laughs>
2: Oh, I love a good kettle cooked potato chip, and Cape Cod makes a really good dark russet. And uh, I can't find it around here anymore though, where I'm at. But no, I, I didn't never had crunch taters when I was young that I can recall, and didn't find them this time. I, I wasn't looking too hard either. You know, if they weren't in front of me at the grocery store on the weekly stop, I wasn't going out of my way to hunt them down. But uh, Home Alone too. I went to watch. Well, the first Home Alone my brother took me to watch it in the theater, but somehow we got into the wrong theater inside. And I can't remember what we ended up watching that day, but it wasn't home alone. And I was pretty ticked off, but uh, I'm going to have to look back and see what was playing. And of course, though, of course that's hard to tell too, because home alone stayed in theaters for for, gosh, months and months where it was such a big word of mouth hit. So it it must've been good
1: enough if you didn't leave the theater.
2: Yeah, you know, I don't know. There's two movies that come to mind, and that's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Ernest Goes to Jail. But I feel like both of those movies, we went specifically to see those. It's not like we would have ended up accidentally seeing both of those. So I don't know what it was. I'm going to have to see if I can figure that out.
0: Come on, everybody, sing along.
2: Dashing for the plane. Trying to make the flight. Come on. Mom and
0: dad just made a tiny oversight. Ah. As they hurry home. Two robbers plan a heist. But little do they know. He's got his home turf iced.
2: Home alone. Home alone. Ah. Trick them
0: every way. Oh, the fun it is to see two burgers get bombed. Home Alone, the Christmas gift of the year. $24.98 or $5 less with Pepsi rebate. Now, wasn't that fun? Rated PG.
2: Well, my eye letter is a big one. And it's the Internet. Um, Yeah. Yeah. uh, Big topic here. Uh, Of course, I'll just hit the highlights because that could be a whole show by itself in the future. Mm -hmm. But I was not an AOL CompuServe prodigy person in the early 90s. We had a little local Internet dial up place, uh, which I didn't have at home. It wasn't until I went to college in 96 that I really got onto the Internet and I was in the learning lab doing some school work and this guy was chatting online and I kind of knew what the internet was about and had heard about chat rooms. I didn't know this guy, but started up talking to him and he was showing me stuff and hell before you knew it, I was in there. I was going to school an hour, hour and a half early every day, getting on the internet and talking to this guy. He'd become a good friend at that point. That led into skipping classes to get on the internet and uh, that led to getting the internet at home. And back in those early days of getting the internet around here, you could pay, it was like $10 for 10 hours a month or like 40 bucks for unlimited. And of course I had to have the unlimited and there for a while in the late nineties, all of my free time revolved around the internet and what Jason and I used to call the wild West days of the internet. There was no social media search engines were not what they are today. They may index like 200 sites, you know, and and highlight some stuff for you. But you had to have the destination in mind to get to where you were going. Like you had to know that I want to check out WCW's brand new launched website. You had to know the web address to get there. You had to know the web address to the chat room you wanted to go to. You could think of brand names and company names and type them in with a dot com to see if they had a website. And this is the very early days, back when you could type in Pepsi dot com and nothing come up. Uh, So the Wild West days of the Internet are and they're still my my favorite time. You know, we created the retro network, built it on modern framework and stuff, but. I go all the way back to the days of angel fire and geo cities and tripod. And I know a lot of you old heads out there will know what I'm talking about. I don't know if Jeff does or not. I sure do. But, uh, I go all the way back to those days of putting stuff out there on the internet for other people to see and hopefully enjoy. Um, but really ever since I got on the internet, it has been a constant in my life, not just at work or whatever, but as a hobby. Uh, You and I were talking before the show, all the stuff I do for TRN and stuff, it's a hobby. I love doing it, the back end of the website and stuff, just producing content. So the Internet has, well, since 95, 96, has been an everyday part of my life, and I imagine it will be for the rest of my days too.
1: I'd imagine. and We could spend days talking about how the Internet's changed our lives. I mean, in my pocket every day, I carry around more information than you can get in an encyclopedia um the internet has i mean you could watch a youtube video on how to change an engine in a car and do it yourself the next day i mean it's totally changed the way we live and uh, i used to have an angel fire and a geocities website so i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> and i used to use an html editor Uh, called Hippie, which I don't know if anybody out there has ever used. But I wish they were like that today, but that was very basic HTML. And besides that, I can't do a lick on the Internet. But um, we were very early into the Internet. Uh, My parents were very quick to get a a computer at home. I think it was 1992. We had an AMBRA uh, computer, which was just a PC, but we had Prodigy. And Ooh. I was I was on the wrestling bulletin boards or BBs, as they were called back then, every minute I could. And this was back when the dial-up internet would take up your phone line, and my parents ended That's up something. having to get a second phone line in the house, which I'm sure they weren't thrilled about spending the money for. But um, without that, we missed every phone call because between my brother and myself and my father and my mother, we were <laughs> – <laughs> on the internet using the phone line all the time. And I'll never forget the sound of that dial-up connection. Um, that'll be ingrained in my head until the day I die.
2: Well, you were one of the lucky kids that I was jealous of when I discovered the internet because I was in the, the world wide web. I didn't have access to any service like Prodigy where you'd log on and it had its own stuff and like the wrestling bulletin boards and all of that. So, oh, you know, I look at, Images online, you know, like old AOL home screen. Just do a Google search of images and and just see what it looked like and all the different stuff you could do there and the various chat rooms and the different sections it had. And oh, I wish I could have lived through that, which I did live through it. I just didn't have access to it, which is funny to say because I had two or three hundred of those disks they would send everybody. <laughs> never did subscribe to AOL though.
1: No, we didn't have AOL till much later, and I think that was just a web-based email address. I don't think it was actually AOL.
0: Can you believe what's possible these days? Conversations through your computer? Worlds of information one click away. All the things you find only on the world's most popular internet online service, now more affordable than ever? It's like living in the future. The Future, now available on America Online. Jock
1: Jams, the CD. Did you have the CD?
2: Wasn't there multiple Jock Jam editions?
1: There was, and I did a little research last night, five volumes. And then they changed it to Jock Rock and came out with three more.
2: Hmm. I know I had the one that had, uh, I think getting so, jiggy with it was one of them one of the songs. Uh,
1: yeah i don't remember that i remember the first one had michael buffer do announcements and they spliced in clips of famous sports calls and you know the upbeat music you'd find at sporting events but uh, as i mentioned earlier i grew up playing hockey and i must have wore those cds out before a game and you know <laughs> there's little me listening to the early 90s rap and other upbeat you know music but uh when i think of uh, jock jams i can also start thinking about a lot of those other music compilations that uh, were very popular in the 90s you'd see all over they'd be whole infomercials on tv um mm-hmm. i can't remember the name it was a time life would do it where they would put a whole compilation of the best of the 60s or the best of the 80s and i, I used to sit and watch infomercials for entertainment purposes on weekends. And uh, those music compilations were always some good material.
2: Oh, yeah. My, some of my favorite compilations were the old MTV Party to Go CDs. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I love those things. So I'm looking here at uh, some of these. and I know I had one. So, yeah, ESPN had the branded uh, Jock Rock. Yeah, I don't know which one I had. I'm pretty sure I had one that had Will Smith on it, but I'm not sure.
1: I know I definitely had the first one, which was like yellow or orange, and it had cheerleaders jumping on it.
2: Yep, I see that one here. And then uh, there's a white one with dancers on it. Yeah, good times. Those uh, those compilations that get you pumped up before stuff like that. Stop. Get ready for Jock Jams, the hottest crowd-pumpin' sports jams ever. Come,
0: baby, come, baby, baby, come, come. You're unbelievable.
2: Unbelievably hot songs guaranteed to make you sweat. Pump up, up, up the volume on Jock Jam. Get out of your seat and into the jam. this the greatest crowd pumping hits ever from TSN, Tommy Boy, and Quality. Get Jock Jams and Jock Rock Volumes 1 and 2 in stores now. Oh, now we find ourselves back at fast or not fast food, but junk food again. Keebler's Magic Middles Cookies.
1: Any association with those? No, I'm trying to rack my brain what the Magic Middles were. I definitely was a Keebler. Still am a Keebler fan. but. Uh...
2: So Magic Middles were a round shortbread cookie, and they had a soft fudge center. Later on, they'd come out with something like a peanut butter center. But you would bite into this crunchy cookie, and inside was gooey chocolate. And they didn't last real long a couple years. Uh, well, they lasted long enough to go through a package rebranding, too, to make them look like all the other cookies on the shelf that keep her done. But, um, God, there's so many, all, well, used to be so many online petitions and things to bring back magic middles. <laughs> Uh, A lot of people remember them, and I know when they come out, they come out around the time the E.L. fudge cookies come out, but these Magic metals with that soft chocolate fudge center were just to die for because you could dunk them in the milk and soften the cookie and then bite into it, and you had the soft cookie with the milk and the chocolate, and that was
1: just heaven. When you brought up the peanut butter, I instantly remembered having the peanut butter one. I don't remember the chocolate. Um, E.L. Fudges, on the other hand, are my favorite Keebler cookie, but the peanut butter ones I remember, and that would have been bought by my grandmother. I grew up in a house next door to my grandparents, and I would always wander over there, and she always had some, she had a sweet tooth, so there was always cookies or candy over there that I would sample that we didn't have at home. So for L, this one may seem kind of odd, but hear me out. Lord of the Dance. Any, <laughs> any recollection?
2: I remember the commercials.
1: Yes, and that's and I all remember. I that's all I know. Yeah, okay, but okay, I that do, makes sense then. <laughs> but I I watched a lot of TV as a kid, and these commercials, like you said, were all over television in the 90s. Um, I love commercials today. I'll spend hours when I have free time at work watching. YouTube videos of old commercials from the 90s that, you know, some saint put on the Internet for me to watch. But um, I I even said it a few minutes ago that I would kill time on a lazy weekend watching infomercials. And Lord of the Dance was one of those that's always on. And when I was thinking of things for this uh, ABC thing, I asked my wife, I said, you ever heard of Lord of the Dance? And she said she actually went to go see them in New York City. Holy and, crap, what was and, wrong with her? <laughs> well, she was just a little girl, but I, I was actually excited. I wanted to hear all about it, and she didn't remember much. But uh, I, like I said, I have no idea what it was beyond the commercial, but the commercials made it look like it was traditional Irish dancing mm-hmm. yep. meets a KISS concert. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've never heard it described like that. but I mean, it had pyro, it had pomp and circumstance, it had... You know, all sorts of cool stuff. So uh, that's my entry for L is Lord of the Dance. Well, good Lord.
2: While I'm waiting on the big game to start, I'm going to be pulling up and watching Lord of the Dance <laughs> videos on YouTube. But I um, remember those commercials. And for me, it seemed like it ran more on our local Fox affiliate than anything, uh, which would probably have been the easiest of the channels to get, you know, infomercials or those quick 30-second paid advertisements into. That probably makes yep. sense why I was on Fox, but – Yeah, it seemed like uh, in the afternoon, I would see that commercial multiple times over a two-hour span.
1: Yep. it was all over the place.
2: Well, And it speaks to how well it worked that you mentioned Lord of the Dance, and it's been 30 years, and I knew exactly what you were talking about. Exactly. But only because of the commercials. So it done its job, that's for sure.
1: Advertising, baby, gets in your brain. (laughs) Well, they were good at it. Yep. The tour that sold out every show in
2: North America. The phenomenal Michael Flatley in his final tour with Lord of the Dance. Triumphantly returns to Chicagoland. July 29th through August 2nd at the Rosemont Horizon. The critics rave. Hollywood reporter says awesome. The New York Times flamboyant. Newsweek magazine magical. Michael Flatley,
1: Lord of the Dance. we C-tickets on sale now at the box office.
2: Ticketmaster out Richard by phone. The show and the man you cannot miss. Michael Flatley, Lord of the Dance. Boy, i you know, I've got another monster topic that we can't get too deep into because it's it's going to have to be a future episode, and that's M for the Monday Night Wars. Ooh. So, yeah, you were talking about being on the the message boards and stuff during the Monday Night Wars. The message boards and things were the place to be. You know, what are the rumors? Who's leaving where? Who's showing up where? But, you know, traditionally wrestling on Monday nights for a long time in the late eighties was primetime wrestling and it was stale canned matches. They transitioned to Monday night raw, which just had their 30th anniversary. And uh, you got competitive matches and it was a great show to watch every Monday night. And then WCW comes along and launches their own Monday night show in the same time slot. So they're going head to head You had fans of the WWF and fans of WCW watching both shows, and it was a game of can you top this from Monday night to Monday night between the two shows. And the way Eric Bischoff ran the war from his side, giving away results of Monday Night Raw live on Nitro and trying to keep the audience there was unheard of, stuff we'd never seen or heard in wrestling before. And both shows had to – kick it up a notch with the matches they were offering to keep the audience on their channel and get wilder and wilder storylines led to the Attitude Era in the WWF, WWE, led to the NWO and WCW. And if you were a wrestling fan, it was probably the greatest era in time to be a wrestling fan because both both companies were giving you everything they had to entertain you. And the winners of the Monday Night War were the fans. They were me and you. We won. I don't know you know, the two companies. I guess the WWF claims victory because they're still around, but the real winners were the fans.
1: Without a doubt, it was the most exciting time to be a a wrestling fan. And like you, I grew up a NWA, WCW fan, and so Nitro was my show, Mm -hmm. which kind of leads me into – I was going to say Nitro for N, so I'm glad I changed my mind. But um, as far as the Monday Night Wars go – Raw, which is the WWF show, just celebrated their 30th anniversary. So um, it was so popular, and they obviously started Raw before the Monday Night War, but it's still going today, and uh, it's just a testament. I remember uh, t- TV Guide sold out because Hulk Hogan was mm-hmm. on the cover of it. Um, it was appointment television. There was even parties, um, like Nitro parties. I remember. Mm-hmm. Of people just getting together or going out to the local watering hole to, you know, who would have the show on if you couldn't watch it. And yeah, it was just the biggest and best time to be a wrestling fan. Every episode or every week was bigger than the last until maybe ninety nine when it all fell apart. Yeah.
2: Well, I worked, uh, I don't know, a fair amount of Monday nights. And when I worked, I would set the VCR back when we still had those things. And record it, but on the Monday nights I was off, when Nitro went to two hours, uh, they would start at 8 p.m. and run from 8 to 10. And then they ran a replay from 10 to midnight. And I don't know how many people besides me knew this and done it, but I would watch Nitro from 8 to 9, switch and watch Raw from 9 to 11 when it was two hours, (laughs) <laughs> and then switch back to TNT to catch the second hour of the replay of Nitro so i had a 4 hour block of wrestling and i didn't miss a minute of either show it was awesome
1: that's brilliant and
2: uh didn't have to worry about recording in one room and watching in another and then flipping and no i got to watch both now Nitro was broken up by Raw but you know that put some variety into the middle of it so it was yeah. good now I grew up a hardcore NWA fan. I'm in the heart of horseman country, and uh, I never was an NWO fan, always horseman, 100%. But in 97, I started leaning towards the WWF with the rise of Mankind and Stone Cold Steve Austin and Dustin Rhodes' the newest incarnation of Goldust at the time, and Um, I stuck with WWF for a long time after that.
1: I was uh, very hesitant to go towards WWF. I just, I like WCW, and even during its dying days in the '99, I was still a fan of that over uh, Raw. And I only kind of became a WWF fan when there was nothing else to watch on TV, when WCW finally went out of business, and um, I had. Gone off to college at that point, and I kind of lost my uh, fandom, so to speak, for a few years. And then when I got back into it, uh, WCW was gone, and WWF was the only show in town. Well,
2: like I said uh, they claimed victory in the Monday Night Wars, but those real winners were us. Well, what have you got for In besides
1: Nitro since you give up on it? Well, I was going to say Nitro, but I figured between the two, as we'd have plenty to talk about pro wrestling, so I said NASCAR. Oh, yes. Good choice. NASCAR in the 90s was much bigger than it is today. And uh, if it wasn't for the boom period of the 90s, I don't think it would even likely still be around today. Um, I don't know all the details about the financials, but from what I gather – Things weren't uh, looking too good until the boom period came along. As a little kid, well, before that, my favorite color is orange. So (laughs) as a kid, I immediately gravitated towards the Tide car because it was big and bright and orange. And, you know, little kids love fast cars, and my favorite color was orange. So Ricky Rudd who drove the tide ride at the time was my favorite driver until Ricky Craven came along. Um, and I believe it was Darlington where he won the race by mere inches. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just such an exciting time period to be a fan. Um, my family, I was the only one that liked NASCAR growing up. My neighbors would have wars. One neighbor would hang a Jeff Gordon flag and then, the neighbor oh across the, the neighbor across the street would hang a Mark Martin flag. Oh my and, gosh! Yeah, and the, and the two of them would just you know it was a friendly rivalry, but they would go back and forth about who their favorite was. And uh, when I got to college, uh, we were such big fans that we would even watch the low level ARCA races on you know ESPN eight or whatever it was. <laughs> but uh, you know nowadays, you know after Ricky Bobby the Talladega Nights movie, I think NASCAR kind of lost its way and. The popularity faded once the movie uh, came out. And every year I get excited about the Daytona 500, which is coming up uh, in a few weeks as you hear this. But I'm sure once the 500 comes and goes, I won't be a NASCAR fan for another year. And then when the 500 comes around, all of a sudden I'm a NASCAR fan again. So.
2: You know, the boom period in the 90s was was fun to live through because – I'm a hop, skip, and a jump from Bristol. You used to go to the Bristol race, you know, every race at Bristol. Um, But on the flip side of that, it was that boom period that caused them to go to other places, you know, open up Chicago, uh, Las Vegas, some other places. And really took it away from its roots here in the South. And I don't know what their financial situation was like. But if it hadn't been for the boom period of the 90s, it may still be a more fun sport today. I can't stand NASCAR today. Uh, Can't watch it because it's just not what it used to be. I remember going as a kid before the boom period in the 90s to Bristol. Before they uh, built the track up when you just had the front stretch and back stretch stands. And you could go in the late 80s, and we'd stop in town and get a eight-piece bucket of chicken and sides from KFC, and you could go sit on the grass in the turns, one and two, three and four, uh, throw a blanket out. It'd be like five bucks for a family. And uh, we'd take fried chicken and sit out on a blanket on the hillside and watch the races. And then the 90s come along, Bristol got huge. And I can remember people paying – I had season tickets and – people would pay astronomical money for tickets if I would sell them uh, for the fall night races. You know, I could get, you know, face value at the time in like 96, 97 was about $85. I could get $700 a ticket. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I wouldn't sell them because
1: it was exciting.
2: It was the best thing going at that time. Yeah. And uh, of course I was always a Dale Earnhardt fan since, as long as I can remember, I liked Richard Petty. I really liked Harry Gant and I liked all the drivers, but Dale Earnhardt was my guy. And, uh, when he had his accident I went at Daytona, I went to Bristol for the last time that spring for that race. The wife and I signed his trailer, went to our seats and sat there and it just didn't feel right. Not having Dale there and we got up and left before the race started and I've never been back.
1: You know, I think I think that single event was the turning point for NASCAR and a lot of fans. And um, there's definitely a new breed of NASCAR fan that is not the same fan that was there back in the 90s. Right.
2: And, you know, Days of Thunder really helped kick off the boom period, too. The Tom Cruise movie from 1990. Uh, yep. You give a lot of people their first real exposure to NASCAR about some of the exciting parts of it. It wasn't just a bunch of Southern Hicks, you know, out driving (laughs) fast and turning left. Uh, So that helped helped it boom too.
1: Yeah, definitely the newer NASCAR fan, um, you know, they like the glitz and glamour and all the stuff they put on TV. And I think uh, when we were watching, it was more about the speed and the car and the driver itself. And, And now the drivers change teams and sponsors so much that, you know, back in the 90s, the driver would stay with a sponsor, and the sponsor would go with him to a new team if they did switch. And there's no uh, no chance to be loyal anymore. And I don't I nope. know, maybe, maybe today's fans don't understand the way it used to be or how good it was. Was. So.
2: Well, they can watch it on YouTube and see because <laughs> most old races are on there. and They're cut down without the commercials, and I love going to watch old races from the 90s on YouTube. Yep. him, but I got to him and he
0: turned him around, so he didn't mean to really turn around. meant to cage him. Like in victory lane that he didn't mean to spin you out, just match you. Have you ever heard him say he means to spin
2: anybody out? <laughs> From driving fast to driving slow. Let's talk about O.J. Simpson for the letter O. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm going to narrow it down though, because there, there's a whole lot to unpack with O.J. Simpson in the 90s, but let's just dial it down to the O.J. Simpson car chase which was 1994, so you'd have been 10 years old.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Where were you that day?
1: I was, I want to say I saw it live on TV at home. Um, I could be totally making that up, but I, <laughs> I want to say that they cut into whatever show I was watching, and I remember as a 10-year-old thinking, why does anybody care about this? <laughs> We were we used to have a camper we kept at the lake
2: and went to every weekend and that was a Saturday and I remember we had a little TV in there in case it rained or something and somehow we heard about it on the news and turned the TV on and before you knew it we had so many other campers piled into our camper and there was probably ten or fifteen people crammed in there watching that car chase all evening long and uh, it as far as event television goes that's a big one from Our lifetimes, you know, 9-11 was huge, of course, and various other things, but that may have been like the second biggest thing where everybody all across the country was watching the same thing at the same time.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: You know, I don't want to glamorize it or whatever because of what happened, but it is a unique event in American history just because it brought so many people together and watched it together. Bigger than any Super Bowl, bigger than – Anything other than probably all the coverage on 9-11 in their lifetime.
1: Well, like you just said, uh, you remember where you were. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, our generation's JFK. Where were you when the president was shot? Or, But the, not just the slow speed car chase. The entire trial was watched. I think mm-hmm. it was the first time that at least I can remember that our entire country watched this trial uh, as it unfolded live on TV, day in, day out, and I think it also coincided with the uh, development of 24-hour news network like CNN. And I think that's uh, the from start to finish, this whole event was like you said, it was a watershed moment for the country where everybody was tuned into the same thing at the same time.
2: Well, it was the OJ trial that launched Court TV. Right that sprung out of that because of the popularity of
1: the trial. So now crazy. everybody's a lawyer on Twitter. So. Oh my
2: gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's not even going to go there. <laughs> Twitter's supposed to be fun, people.
1: All uh, right. Speaking of fun, P Power Rangers. Mm. Um, you might've been a little bit too old when they came out and actually speaking I was, of, I was so, perhaps I was a fan a little too long. Because there was a few times I was told by fan, uh, friends and family you're a little too old for this, <laughs> but uh, when the power Rangers came out uh see I have a thing with bright colors. I told you the other day in the lounge, I like neon and mm-hmm. uh the bright colors of the power rangers green red yellow um uh, that's what attracted me at first, and then you know the action was for a young kid that was pretty cool and um Actually, Adam just wrote a great article a few weeks back on the Retro Network about his uh, you know, memories on when the Power Rangers debuted. But uh, Power Rangers was a huge force, not just on TV, but merchandise, toys, everything. I think I only had the Black Ranger figure as a kid. Um, my mom had bought me a few of the knockoffs called VR Troopers. She you know, probably didn't realize they were different, but. You know, I played with them as if they were the other ones because they, you know, like a true knockoff, had the same colors and similar outfits and whatnot. But yeah, the Power Rangers were huge in the 90s. And uh, I see that now that our generation is, you know, looking back on things, uh, the Power Rangers and their merchandise and collectibles is seeing a huge resurgence today uh, based on that show in the 90s. And actually, I think there's some version of Power Rangers still. On television today.
2: Yeah, I think there's something on Netflix, but I think the real reason those values are skyrocketing right now was because of Adam's article at Christmas talking about Power Ranger toys.
1: Exactly. So. <laughs> Went
2: viral. But it it was a little behind me in age, but I had a younger cousin who was all about Power Rangers, so I heard quite a bit about it. I was well aware of what it was, and I saw the toys because he had them all. And I may have even watched an episode of the show with him. I don't know. But uh, it certainly was a phenomenon. I was just a little beyond it when it came out, though.
1: Yeah, I probably couldn't sit through an episode today, but back then I couldn't get enough.
2: (laughs) Well, it had that kind of, well, not really serialized, but it had that daily format, didn't it? It was on every day. Uh, I believe so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In the afternoons on Fox, I think.
2: Yeah, and they hook you and hook you good at that point. Gotta tune in every day. Sure do.
0: <laughs> Lock your doors and run to safety. Monsters are at large. And they're closing in. Our only hope. The mighty morphing power rangers. Coming September to Fox. <laughs>
2: Well, sticking with television, my letter Q would be for Quantum Leap. Oh, okay. Now, while it you would think normally it's it's hard to find something for a letter Q, this one just jumped right out at me. So Quantum Leap actually debuted in 89, but it's pretty well a 90s show because the bulk of its run was in the 90s. And I can remember my dad traveled all the time, so – nighttime tv viewing my brother worked it was usually just mom and i and it was a show that intrigued her with the different historical things of it happening every week you know going back to different places in time and watching it with her i really got into it and um the whole concept was cool even when i was young that here's a guy who's able to travel through time but he don't get to control where he goes which would be like uh a blessing and a curse, you know. We all fantasize about time travel, and I'd go do this, I'd go do that, and here's a guy getting to travel time, but he has no say in where he's going. So that that part would uh, <laughs> not be very envious. But uh, a lot of good episodes come out of it. I think my my personal favorite would be the one where uh, Hurricane Camille was coming on shore in the '60s. And he was a sheriff in a small town trying to evacuate some people. So I've always been a sucker for disaster episodes or disaster movies, and that one just struck a chord with me.
1: I uh, I think I may have been a little too young for the show, but I do remember my father saying he liked it. And in my little head, I don't remember if that meant that he watched it every week or if uh, you know he just saw it once as it does as a good show. But I do remember uh, seeing a few reruns many many years later. Uh, Scott Bakula was the star of that. Was that? Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, but uh, no, it was a good show when uh, when I saw it many years later. But in the nineties, I didn't watch it. And I actually think it's being rebooted now, isn't it? Or is it out? Or is yeah,
2: it out? yeah, there's a new series on. I've not tried it. Uh, there are some streaming services that have it though. I. I don't know if Peacock has the original or if it's on Tubi or what, but I've watched some episodes recently and they still hold up even under modern viewing. Um Because, you know, the whole show was set in a different time period anyway. So it's not like the show feels dated. It, it feels dated, but it's intentional. It's, it's uh you can watch a show in 1992 set in the fifties, or you can watch it in 2022 set in the fifties. And it, it's, You know, it don't really feel dated. It does, but it's supposed to be.
1: Right. It still holds up really well. Definitely an interesting concept where he can't control where he goes. And a quick Google search says it's available on the Roku channel.
2: Okay. It's bounced around quite a bit over the last couple of years. But every now and then, the wife and I will take a wild hair like you talked about with Blockbuster. We're scrolling through stuff and be like, hey, there's Quantum. let's watch an episode of Quantum Leap, you know. So.
1: I'll add that to the list next to Erie, Indiana. Yeah, yeah, you do that. (laughs) All right, for R, uh, another TV show I was going to say was the Real Ghostbusters. I was a huge Ghostbusters fan, but I consider that more the '80s because I believe it was '86 to '89, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Robin Williams is Mm. my. I know his career started in the '70s, you know, before Mork and Mindy even. But Mork and Mindy, and then, you know, he passed away ten years ago, I guess. But in the 90s uh, is when he really cemented his legacy for my generation. I mean everything from being the genie in Aladdin, which he played that role multiple times, to the original Jumanji, Mm -hmm. um, Mrs. Doubtfire. It was a great movie. Uh, Hook the Birdcage. I just have a list here. Hook the Birdcage, Jack Flubber, uh, that awful drama Patch Adams that I can't get through. But uh, he had he had many hits in the 90s, and uh, probably Mrs. Doubtfire is my favorite of his 90s hits, and it's definitely the one that I watched the most frequently. Uh, Were you a Robin Williams fan at all?
2: I like a lot of his movies, but I'm not a you know I gotta see his newest one type person you know back then. But he had a huge 90s. Mrs. Doubtfire was great. I'm with you on that one. Um, Hook. I have mixed feelings about. I like the movie, but I'm not sure he was the best pick to play Robin. Right. Uh, or not Robin. Peter. Peter. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking Robin Peter to pay Paul. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I like. I never have tried Patch Adams. Thankfully, I I got stuck trying to set through Bicentennial Man, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that was not easy to get through either. But yeah, there's no doubt he had a huge, huge 90s. I really didn't like him in uh, Mork and Mindy either way that show was way too out there for me i, I just couldn't handle that level of comedy but uh, mrs Outfire, that's probably yeah. on that's in my top 20 of nine these movies
1: yeah and his stand-up is it's exhausting to get through <laughs> Be, knowing him personally must have been exhausting but yeah it had uh, to have been but uh definitely a big star of the 90s and uh now I gotta go watch Mrs. Doubtfire. So.
2: <laughs> well, it's been on my list to rewatch for a while now, so I might have to speed up that timeline too. But uh, an even bigger star from the '90s: Super Nintendo. Oh, there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, now, were you a Super Nintendo guy or a Sega Genesis guy?
1: I was a Sega guy. I never had Super Nintendo. Oh wow! You and Jason, both Sega guys.
2: I had Super Nintendo. Well, for people like me who had regular old Nintendo for several years hearing and seeing that a super Nintendo was coming just you know mind-blowing game changer and then leading up to that first Christmas that came out in 91 I think most stores did but I know our local Kmart had a, a demo model set up and you'd go in there and you'd see other kids playing Super Mario World on it And the graphics just blew you away compared to Nintendo and all the stuff Mario could do. I could not wait to get a super Nintendo and my a hole brother who was eight (laughs) years older than I am went out and bought one. Of course he had a job and I was not allowed to touch it (laughs) (laughs) and I wanted one. And he, he, the day he bought a super Nintendo, he bought the super scope six that shoulder mounted bazooka light gun that they created for it. The games that come with it. And oh my gosh, I just, I wanted one so bad and he'd let me play with him every now and then, but I finally got one for Christmas in 91 and, as much as I liked Nintendo, Super Nintendo is still my favorite all-time gaming system. The games for it are they're still great. I still play Super Nintendo games. I own an emulator these days, but I do have my original Super Nintendo still and some games for it. But it's just easier to turn the emulator
1: on the computer and play. <laughs> oh, sure. My uh, my neighbor growing up was one of those kids that had everything. Like He saw a commercial, said, Mom, I want it. And then, you know, the next day he had it. And he had a Super Nintendo, and I used to love going over there to play uh, Mario Kart Racing. There was no game on... We had the regular Nintendo at the time, and there was mm-hmm. no game like that. And I, for whatever reason, that was my favorite game, and I always wanted to play it. And um, yeah, uh, I don't want to get too much into it, because maybe a later <laughs> selection of mine <laughs> has to do with video games, but... Uh yeah I was not a Super Nintendo kid. I'd never had it, and uh I was always a little bit behind so, like when everybody got Super Nintendo, I was just getting regular Nintendo and vice <laughs> versa. Well, my daughter has a uh switch
2: and she's got Mario Kart for it and Holy moly, is that still a fun game to play?
1: Oh, it's great,
2: yeah, we hook it up to the seventy five inch and <laughs> we'll sit back, and her and I will race. We'll end up racing through every course on the game. I think there's like 24 different courses on it. And Oh, man. it's It takes me back. Of course, it's a modern game, the modern version of it, but it feels just like what you're describing there. It takes me back to the 90s and sitting around with friends playing Mario Kart. It, nothing, it's just awesome.
1: Nothing like it, yeah.
0: To step up to this kind of power, this kind of challenge, this kind of flying, crashing feeling. When you decide to get serious, there's only one place to come the games of Super Nintendo. No one else creates this kind of experience because no one else creates these kinds of games. Now you're playing with power, superpower.
1: So for T, you mentioned it a little earlier, but uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles
0: hmm.
1: was perfect for kids my age. And again, one of them had an orange, uh, you know, mask. So of course he's my favorite. <laughs> but I was obsessed with the Ninja Turtles as a kid. Uh, if I liked Dick Tracy in the 90s, my obsession with Dick Tracy, you know, the turtles were tenfold. I had uh, a, more than just a handful of toys. I never actually had a complete set of everything. And, of course, Playmates went crazy with the turtle toys. I mean, I think they were up to, like, 25 series of, you know, figures that would be impossible to collect them all. But I wore out those figures to the point where their arms fell off, and I had to beg beg for new ones. Um, The cartoon during the late 80s and well into the 90s uh, was must-watch Saturday morning. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were the thing. If it was green and it had orange, blue, red or purple on it, I had to have it as a kid. Uh the movies were okay. The first one was good, the second one was okay, and the third one was just I'd rather not talk about, but the um the turtles in the 90s there's very few things that kids thought was as important as the Ninja Turtles. And it's oh, still popular no. it, it's still popular today. Uh, Nickelodeon brought it back a few years ago and ran a whole five or six year series about it
2: mm-hmm. the original series I've seen some of the episodes but again it was slightly behind me and uh, but the toys always look so cool you know, the pizza slinging van and the <laughs> blimp <laughs> yep. and, uh, whatever that base thing they had was called something. it wasn't oh, a pterodrome they- that was a G.I. Joe thing but it, something like that
1: uh, yep, and then they had the uh, sewer playset, which is what I had. I never had, actually. I think it was the terradrome. Now that you say it, but uh, now I gotta Google something. But the um, the sewer playset was one of the very few actual like um, sets that I had as a kid, and um, yeah, the the turtle figures, like you said, they were the same scale as the Dick Tracy figures. And I did have a handful of G.I. Joes, but they were so much smaller than the uh, the Playmates toys. But uh, Ninja Turtles, bar none, probably my favorite thing out of the
0: 1990s.
2: Well, that's not surprising to hear, being the age you are. So. Yep
0: quiet quietly! The are about to ambush the turtle's sewer biceps. But thanks to the turtle's periscope, it's no surprise. Take cover! The Foot are attacking with their sewer ball. Watch out, turtles, or you'll wind up in the recovery room. Oh no, Retromute is the news. The Shredder's up to his old trick. And speaking of going up, the turtles are taking the elevator to street level Can make a call on Shredder using their private line. Reach out and crush someone. Teenage Ninja Turtle. From Playmates.
2: Well, my next pick, I can't – I don't know. They were into karate and stuff, weren't they? That kind of ties into my next pick, and that's the UFC. Oh,
1: okay, the UFC.
2: Yeah, and I'm not talking about late 90s UFC. I'm talking about 1993, the first UFC.
1: Basically bar brawls.
2: Yeah, yeah, human (laughs) cockfighting. So my dad – you know, I talked about we had a black box uh, Mm -hmm. for cable. So – we watched every big boxing fight. I watched every wrestling pay-per-view and we started seeing these ads for the ultimate fighting championship. And of course it been fighting it, it had my dad's attention. We were going to watch it regardless. And then there was more and more hype, you know, no holds barred, Uh mixed martial. They didn't call it mixed martial arts, but mixed fighting styles. And you know what would happen if a wrestler fought a boxer or a boxer versus a jujitsu expert. So we watched that first one. And the very first fight was Gerard D. Pardo against Teely Thule. And when Pardo kicked Thule in the mouth and you saw his tooth go flying, <laughs> we were hooked. Now, you got to remember, we're from the South around here. All right. <laughs> it's not a good Saturday night unless somebody's in a fight. And uh, this epitomized that. It legitimized that, and holy cow, were we just hooked? And we watched them all. Um, He and I together. It was appointment viewing. You know, here I am. I'm uh, 15, 16, 17 as these are going on. It's not cool to spend time with parents and things, but when there was a UFC fight on, he and I were together on that Saturday night, eating pizza. And watching people lose teeth. And we watched at least the first 10 together. And a little trivia note, most people don't realize. And I don't know if you were a fan of the recent uh, Hawaii Five-0 show. No. Well, uh, uh, Kami Kona on there who owns the shrimp truck. That was Teeley Tula who got that got smashed in the first <laughs> UFC fight. So for people who were a fan of the show, you know, he had a recurring role. He was on every episode of Hawaii five Oh over the last 10, 15 years, however long it was on. But, uh, yeah, his original claim to fame was the losing the first match in UFC history.
1: Well, I never, uh, saw them when they were live. I've seen a few of the older ones on YouTube and, uh, maybe daily motion, but they are nothing like the UFC of today. No. And, uh, Honestly, I, I kind of prefer the older ones uh, better.
2: You know, I, I really like them all. I like the fact that they got rules and regulated, though, because it made it a legitimate sport that's fun to watch. But there was a certain charm to those early days, though. <laughs> <laughs>
1: those were tough
2: men. Yes. yeah, <laughs> And not very bright, some of them, for getting in there in the first
1: place. No.
0: Eight of the deadliest fighters in the world will meet in a no holds barred combat to determine who is the ultimate fighting champion. Be forewarned, there are no rules, no judges scores, and no time limits. Eight street tough warriors wage combat in a battle where anything can happen and probably will.
1: Uh well for V, uh I was gonna say video games, but we kinda touched on it with Super Nintendo. Uh like I said, so we'll touch briefly on it, but I was always a little behind everybody else. When they got Sega, I was just getting Nintendo. When they got PlayStation, I got Sega. Um, so I was a little bit behind everybody, but uh, I actually when everybody got PlayStation 2, I got N64. And I think that might be my favorite uh, of all the systems was N64 because I remember playing those games uh, all the time uh, in high school. Weekends off, we were playing N64, the first Star Wars game that came out um, in the mid to late 90s for N64. I must have spent hours, and it was the first time you could actually save the game, uh, or at least I could. Because the original Nintendo you'd play, uh, like my brother, who's three years older than I am, was very good at playing Mario on Nintendo. But he would make me go sit in the corner and face the wall because (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> because I was bad luck if I watched the TV, because he'd lose. And then he he had been playing for hours, and then I cost him, you know, the game. And you couldn't save or go back to where you were. So N64 was the first time you could insert that little memory card into the controller and actually save your progress. So uh, Plus, my dad, actually, who is not the video game type, um, would play. he would sit and play Wave Runner on N64 with me on the rare occasion. So that's... Uh, Besides that, he only ever played Cabal, which was a shooter game on regular old NES. And uh, one night, my father actually beat the game. (laughs) Wow. And and for somebody who was not a video game player, and little old me was so impressed with uh, him playing and beating the game that I actually years later went and bought a mint condition cartridge and booklet off of eBay just as a little memory of that night I played video games with my dad. So.
2: Oh, that's cool. I don't think I have ever played anything on the N64. I don't think I've ever held an N64
1: controller. They were big clunky things with a little joystick in the middle. But. Yeah. Hmm. Uh and then uh, one other thing, uh did you were you into PC games? I was in yeah. the 90s. Yeah. Uh I was really into Doom in the 90s and then I don't know if anybody out there listening remembers the game Space Quest, but that was a game. I I, that was a game I spent several hours. It was a it was a cartoony, corny kind of game where this guy's a janitor, but then he gets somehow sucked into saving the universe in outer space. And but it was a, a game I spent many many hours playing.
2: I didn't play very much Doom. I did play a lot of Duke Nukem, and when Quake, I think was it called Quake. Yeah, Quake
1: right. Yeah, first-person
2: shooter. We somehow, me and another guy, downloaded a demo version of that onto the network at college in our computer programming class. And we would sit in the back of the class and be running through the dungeon looking for each other. It was just two of us playing in there, but we were connected while the teacher was lecturing. And we played Quake every Thursday night instead of learning about computer programming. (laughs) Good times with that stuff. Well, sticking, man, you were great with the segue going to the computer games because W for me is Windows 95. Uh when I got my first computer at home, it had Windows 95 on it, and that was a game changer. I in high school, our computers there had Windows 3.1, uh, which was what it was. But then here comes Windows 95 with the start button on it and uh The new games, you know, you weren't just locked in the solitaire or minesweeper. You had the the downhill ski game and the space pinball game and some other stuff. Just all the new features it could do. It just felt like the future had arrived. And I still prefer, if I could have it, Windows 95 over any other Windows operating system they've ever come out with since then. (laughs) I would agree with
1: you. Yeah, Windows 11 is awful.
2: Yeah, they got it right with Windows 95. They didn't need to try to improve on it because they've failed miserably ever since, in my opinion. But uh, the screensavers were cool. You had the tubes and the geometric shapes and the haunted house. and I don't know. It just felt just so different from anything else at the time. It still feels different than anything we've got now.
1: Yeah, it felt so modern at the time. And now looking back, I think they've overcomplicated everything in the name of making it look visually appealing, I guess. Mm-hmm. That is the only way I could describe the current Windows that uh, I don't know where anything is and how to use it. And you know, But uh, Windows 3.1 was the first one we had, and that was just a barely a step up from MS-DOS. And then uh, I believe we had, uh, what was it, 2000 or XP or something like that?
2: Yeah, and the XP wasn't bad. No, was I think Windows, that was the one
1: I have the most experience with. There was
2: Windows 98, which was pretty good, too. Uh, XP, Vista come along, and Windows 8. Windows, I don't know if there was a Windows
1: 7 or not. but mm. I, think, I think Windows 8 was in my first laptop, and that was the one with all the tiles on the home oh, screen. Oh, I hated that. I couldn't for the life of me figure out how to use it. I just, I found some backdoor YouTube video. on how to turn it all off, and I was much happier that way.
2: <laughs> oh, the uh, Windows 95 video where they got Jennifer Aniston and uh, Chandler from Friends as their Friends characters to do the instructional video. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not, but it's on YouTube. No. Uh, it's like an hour-long video. <laughs> And so they're learning how to use Windows 95 uh with an instructor. It's kind of fun and corny, but it's a good look back at Windows 95 for nostalgia, but they need to take some modern show and do modern Windows the same way. And uh, maybe the rest of us could could like it
1: a little more <laughs> that way. Yeah. The time has come to travel beyond Windows 3.1 and MS-DOS into the world of Microsoft Windows 95. Here you'll discover powerful features that let you do things you've never done with your computer before and make all your everyday tasks easier, faster, even more fun. To see what Windows 95 can do, here's a great place to start. Well, excuse me for X. Uh, <laughs> Wayne's World. Uh, like I said earlier, I, I instantly regretted the choosing the harder letters at the end. I couldn't think of anything for X. I'm sure you probably could rattle off some, but my had a a brain fart here for X. And, but excuse me was one that I thought of. Um, I was a little young for Wayne's World when the movies came out, especially my parents were pretty strict about the content we watched when we were little but uh I did see them shortly after they came out on uh TV or uh, VHS rather and we we had the videos and we watched them at home on TV and you know um but excuse me was something that uh Wayne and Garth would say on their show from their basement uh to me excuse me and I actually say it quite a bit in real life uh excuse me and then I guess they responded with a baking powder instead of <laughs> I beg your pardon so there's my contribution for x's excuse me
2: well good job finding something for x i would have also accepted dx if you wanted to go oh okay or, yep 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 You know, could have done some other stuff there uh i loved wayne's world when it come out and rented it watched it for some reason it came out on vhs before it hit pay-per-view on the black box but i ran it and watched it and then it came out like a month later on pay-per-view and i watched it another dozen
0: times
2: (laughs) uh but oddly enough i've probably not watched that movie in more than 20 years now
1: wow so i need to go revisit that one too well dana carvey and mike myers are both guys that were super to use a wrestling term over in the 90s they were Mm -hmm. super popular and then just disappeared They either – I'm not sure they made their money and decided to walk or their brand of humor doesn't work today. I'm not sure, but uh, those guys were everywhere in the 90s, especially Wayne's World and Saturday Night Live and Austin Powers, and and they're just gone. Well, I don't know what Mike Myers' most
2: recent thing has been, but I know he was in *Inglorious Bastards, the Tarantino movie.
1: This is true, Yep.
2: So, I mean, he's still around. He's not starring – Right. But maybe he wants it that way. Maybe, like I said, he's made all his money because I'm sure he made bank on the Austin Powers oh, franchise. Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt about that. So, From the basement of Wayne and Garth, <laughs> excellent, comes the most
0: high octave
2: <laughs>
0: vitamin packed.
1: I'm getting tired of
0: holding this. Yeah, sure, that's what she said. In Industrial Street. From this height, you could really hock a loogie on something. Adventure of all time. Hi, Wayne. It's Wayne, it's God, it's Wayne's World. We're not mental or anything, so don't be afraid. Rated PG-13 starts Friday, February 14th. That
2: theater's everywhere. Uh, I struggled a little bit with the letter Y, but then it hit me. You know, I do a lot of talking. This is a podcast. A lot of people probably tune us out, and all they are hearing from us is yada, yada, yada. So yada, yada, yada from Seinfeld.
1: Love uh, Seinfeld.
2: Yeah, Elaine's catchphrase there. I, to this day, use yada, yada, yada multiple times a day in conversation, whether it be at work, at home. I was telling my wife today we had a town hall meeting at work, and I was explaining some of the stuff from it. And I was like, and then, you know, yada, 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 he done this and he done that. <laughs> and uh, so yada, 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 come. I, it may have been a saying before, elaine on seinfeld in the 90s but i consider it a 90s phrase and i've probably used it every day since i first heard it in the
1: 90s (laughs) that is a great choice for why seinfeld is a show that uh personifies the 90s i think
2: it's my favorite show that's ever been on television
1: that's 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 a good call It's, it's up there it's definitely one of my favorites and and uh one of the shows that my wife and I will leave the TV on while we go to sleep, and that's definitely one of the shows that's frequently on as we drift off to sleep at night. But, I've tried that, and I
2: can't because I won't go to sleep. I find myself with my eyes closed but paying attention by listening, and before you know it, I'm eyes wide open watching and giggling, and <laughs> I can't go to sleep. So that's not one of the ones I can leave on at night.
1: Okay. Yep. But, yep, yada, yada, yada is part of the, uh, you know, Pop culture lexicon now in America, and, and anybody knows exactly what it means. Yep.
2: Listen to this Marcy comes over and she tells me that her ex boyfriend was over late last night, and yada yada yada, I'm really tired today. What do you think she was tired from? Well, obviously the yada yada. You don't think she'd yada yada sex?
1: I've yada yada sex. Really? I met this lawyer, we went out to dinner, I had the lobster bisque, we went back to my place, yada, 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 I never heard from him
0: again. But you yada, yada over the best part? No, I mentioned the bisque.
1: (laughs) And I guess I'll finish off with Z for Zoo Books.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: Zoo Books, uh, I spent a lot of time at the doctor's office, or at least I felt like I spent a lot of time at the doctor's office when I was little and there was always the bright colorful zoo books, uh, you know, each episode or each magazine or edition of the magazine came out bi weekly or monthly, I forget, but uh would cover a different animal each time and um I believe my mom even got us a subscription at the time. But uh, we read those uh you know, cover to back and back to cover and, you know, favorite animals we'd cut the pictures out and hang them up on the wall when we were real little and so uh zoo books was what i came up with z
2: that was again before my time a little bit but i can remember going to the doctor and seeing the issues there and flipping through them and uh they were still either they were either still a thing when my kids were really small or maybe my wife's mom had kept some at some point anyway my daughters ended up with some zoo books and uh, they enjoyed them too So that's cool that they had that kind of appeal Across that many years Though. So. Yeah Dinosaurs once ruled the earth Today kids pretty much run things But animals are still number one And only zoo boats can make the world of wildlife come alive
0: The children actually love animals And they enjoy learning everything they can about them Here's your mail Whoa, zoo boats <laughs> See what I mean? Every month, your kids will receive a new zoo book filled with dazzling color pictures of exotic animals from around the world. They'll read incredible articles and learn fascinating facts, like why tigers might starve to death if they didn't have their stripes. I didn't know that. (laughs) Get zoo books. Your kids will love them. And they'll be learning, too. Look, Mom. Call now and you'll receive 12 issues for only $19.95. That's 44% off the newsstand price. Less than $1.70 a month. Plus, you also receive a special Dinosaur Edition, this stunning tiger poster, and these great animal stickers. Call 800-441-2400. That's
2: 800-441-2400. Call now before this offer becomes extinct. Well, A to Z of the 90s. At least this time, we could probably do this again and have completely different picks. I know I wrote down for most of my letters multiple things, except for the hard letters like Q and Y. But... uh So we have to revisit this again in the future. Sure.
1: I'd be happy to. We could flip the letters and see what we come up with.
2: Yeah. Jason and I have done that in the past. That's not a bad idea. Next time we do it, I'll take B and you can take a, sounds Uh, like a plan, but we hope you folks have enjoyed this first episode of gnarly nineties podcast. Uh, Jeff and I have talked about it. I don't think we're going to really maintain any set schedule. Uh, for one, I don't like feeling pressured to do something all the time like that. But we hope to have somewhat of a regular schedule.
1: Uh, yeah. And we and both again, don't exactly have jobs that lend to the same schedule all the time, so right. I think I think a more fluid schedule would be beneficial in making sure that we got at least one episode out a month. Oh yeah, yeah, certainly.
2: And like I said, if you like what you've heard please uh go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe just look for gnarly 90s spelled with a g as jeff and i have joked since we come up with that it, it's a g thing <laughs> and uh what up g uh, Yep. Yeah, you found the g spot there's <laughs> a lot of stuff to do with the g so uh the g is silent but we're not i think it was the first one we come up
1: with it's a good one
2: But you can look for it in your favorite podcast app or wherever you're currently listening to this episode and subscribe and consider leaving us a five-star review. And if anything you have heard here has triggered a memory for you and you want to share it or you want to dispute any of our memories or correct us on anything or tell us we're dope for uh, liking something we like, feel free to call in. Leave us a voicemail at 678-TALK-TRN. That's 678 825 five eight seven six you can leave a voicemail and uh, maybe on the next episode we'll play it or we'll probably at least respond to you for now as far as social media goes our parent uh, network the retro network you can find on all your favorite social media channels at trn social for now you can drop us a line there and follow trn social to get new updates And as this show drops on Super Bowl Sunday, the gnarly 90s is not just a podcast, it's a whole movement. And we're taking over theretronetwork.com. So head over to theretronetwork.com for a full slate of 90s articles and special features there. And this podcast will be featured there, too. So you can find it and listen to it again. In
1: true NWO style of the 90s, we're taking over. Yeah,
2: we're taking over. (laughs) This is 90s country people at trn so <laughs> that don't work as good as this is horseman country though does it? Uh, but we can try <laughs> at the retro network though we got a lot of talented people and uh, a lot of those folks are 80s focused like tm at old school 80s fantastic everything he writes about the 80s and everything he shares on twitter jason from rediscover the 80s him and myself we launched the retro network a few years ago He's born and bred and solidly based in the 80s. And you can hear him and Eric uh, also from the Retro Network with the Greatest List podcast. Uh, the first season featured on uh, oh, what, top 40, top 50 uh, movie songs from the 80s. Uh, well, they're jumping into the 90s with season two. So uh, another 90 centric podcast you can go check out. Just search for Greatest List and also, don't forget Adam and Michael over at uh, Wizards, the podcast Guide to Comics, all things 90s comics, and our good friends Pete and Michael, same Michael from Wizards, with Box Office 30, where they look at movies from 30 years ago. So uh, they just wrapped up January 1993 in movies. So go check that out.
1: I you know that's 30 years ago.
2: I know. And here I was at the beginning of the episode talking about how the 90s have been underrepresented on the Retro Network. And now we've got Gnarly 90s, Greatest List, Wizards, Box Office 30, all based in the 90s right now.
1: So The best decade.
2: There you go. It's a good time to be a fan of the 90s. So go check out theretronetwork.com. Check everybody out at TRN Social. And uh, next time out, Jeff and I will tell you where to find us on Twitter. We would tell you now, but Jeff's in the midst of an identity crisis and looking to change his <laughs> handle. And I don't want to give you his old one just for him to change it. So, <laughs> so hit us up at TRN Social. So, And for folks listening, this is Jeff's first podcast, and I think he's done an outstanding job. So drop him a message and let him know that as well.
1: Well, thank you very much.
2: Hope you've enjoyed it.
1: I did. It was great. I hope everybody else enjoys it. I'm sure they will
2: once and, we got uh, past the microphone problems to start the show that you folks did not hear
1: <laughs> but uh i think it'll uh well it can only go up from here right so we're yeah. uh, uh, i'm looking forward to continuing i hope everybody enjoys it i hope they uh look back on the 90s as fondly as we do and uh be kind <laughs> that's yeah be kind
2: be kind rewind that's all it. right well that's gonna do it folks uh just keep an eye on your podcast feed for the next episode to drop. We'll talk to you then.
1: All right. Take care, everybody.
2: The Gnarly 90s Podcast has been brought to you by the Retro Network. For more 90s nostalgia, visit retronetwork.com where you'll find even more podcasts as well as original videos, written features, contests, and more. Tell them Mickey and Jesse.